asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Let's be honest, the first place our family turns to when we're looking for a quick getaway is always Airbnb. I know we can find an amazing place to stay at the beach, like St. Simons on the Georgia coast, for instance. Mm -hmm. It's one of our favorite spots. That's what comes to mind, Matt, when I'm thinking about travel. And while you're staying at someone else's home, have you ever thought about what you could be doing with your own home? That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you are away because that is all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room if you've got one. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we are answering your listener questions. Listener questions, baby! You know what, man? This is our listener question Monday. Who are you, Dick Vitale? <laughs> I don't even know who that is. <laughs> Sounds like a sports announcer. Yes. and uh, he, Let me guess, football? No, basketball. Basketball. Yeah, okay. and he's quite famous for his babies. Ba- oh, really? Yeah. Oh, i got to look this guy up. <laughs> Maybe we are soulmates. Maybe. <laughs> now, we've got listener questions lined up for folks today. We've got five great ones, including one about a listener who's thinking about renovating his home to generate some income. We've got an investing question, and we might be getting behind some single stock investing. What? I'm sure folks are like, wait. Shut up, guys. Y'all are such <laughs> hypocrites because, because I know y'all don't single stock invest. You gotta wait. You gotta listen to the full answer. There are always specifics and nuances that you have to take into account. We're going to get to that one. Uh, and then we've got a listener as well who's wondering what she can do about her rent going up significantly. We've got a few tips for her and some ways to keep that expense in check. Mm-hmm. Plus two other questions that we're going to get to today. But uh, okay, I got a quick story for you. You ready? Bring it, yeah. So we mentioned a couple weeks ago, we are going to be selling our house. And uh, Kate and I, we've been doing a bunch of different uh, little projects around the around the place. You know, you, you live with certain things for a while, and then all of a sudden you put like some different goggles on and you see it for what it is. And you're like, oh my, oh my gosh, we live like slobs. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was nice, but this house is but, a turd. But in reality... <laughs> 
<laughs> not a turd, but like <laughs> there's a few things that you live with that you just ignore uh, until you kind of look at it from from a different perspective. One of those things in one of the showers in our house, uh, in one of the bathrooms, we've we've got two different shower heads, which is totally fine. But they're both kind of crusty. One of them had kind of like this weird kind of gangly adjustable arm thing that didn't really adjust. Uh, and so we thought, you know what, let's get a couple new shower heads. They'll match. They'll look nice. And when these things showed up, uh, when I went to stick them on, I saw that you could remove the the water flow restrictor mm-hmm. on them. And so it, I it believe comes... it's a legal requirement for these shower head companies to oh, yeah? place it in there, but it's not illegal for you to for remove you to, it yourself <laughs> as an individual. To remove it. And obviously they stick them in there to help you to, to save water. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought, I wonder what it's like to take that thing off. Like, like, what is it like to shower under uh, a shower head that's like, you know, full throttle? <laughs> <laughs> and so I tried it out. And dude, I've got to say, it is really, really nice, especially, I mean, you know, I've, I've still got my long hair, which means that's a lot of shampoo, a lot of conditioner to rinse out. Uh, it was incredibly awesome just to get my have my scalp blasted by <laughs> the Atlanta City water. But it got me thinking about uh, whether or not it's frugal or cheap to remove those things. Because on one hand, you leave the restrictor in. Obviously, you're saving. Uh, it's, it's less water is coming out. Mm-hmm. But you might be taking longer to shower. So in my case, it, it literally does take a while for me to rinse all that shampoo out. Like I have to, I shower with a brush and I brush my hair in the shower. It's, it's something I got to do now. Uh, on the other hand, now uh, that we're going full force with the water, I think that I'm able to get out of that shower in a much shorter period of time. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, it feels nice. I really, I just like how that feels on the scalp. But what do you think? Because on one hand, it, it could be good. On, on the other hand, it could be bad. What are your thoughts? So when we recently renovated the the shower in our new bathroom, our new master bathroom was, is great. But the shower head was like, it's like, ah, oh, it's leaving something to be desired. Like mm-hmm. it's just not, the water pressure is just, eh, it's okay. And so, yeah, I talked to my buddy Brent and he was like, All right, well, you know, you can pull that little joker out and test it out. And so similarly, I just, I, I pulled it out with some needle nose oh, pliers, nice. and it. I was like, "This is like so a, a much better experience." And <laughs> so, so I ripped it out, and I'm not going back. I didn't know that. Which is funny because I have at different times in the past, I have put low flow devices on a, a sink or a faucet, or put in a low flow shower head in order to curb water consumption. So I think it's one of those things that it's uh, if it if it helps you to take your shower more quickly and you're kind of it's kind of negligible then take it out or if it just makes it more enjoyable take it out but if it if it doesn't make a difference if you haven't noticed up until now probably leave it in there because it's saving you money by yeah. saving you water yeah you probably will see a difference in your water bill uh-huh. uh, if you're not getting any enjoyment or if it's not saving you any time right if I get in the shower and I'm taking just as long of a shower well there's no water saving you know like there's no trade off there yeah. I'm just wasting more water it's just going down the drain but if I'm able to get in that Literally. shower going down the drain. <laughs> Literally. It might just be a wash. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's uh, keep these going. <laughs> but yeah, just something to keep in mind. Something I'm, I'm glad this is something that y'all have, have dealt with recently as well. Just briefly on the topic of low-flow water devices, low-flow toilets actually, though, have gotten really good. There's no reason if you've got one of those old school toilets that takes like what, like three gallons per flush versus like, what is it, like 1.2 yeah, or something like yeah. that? Yeah, some, and some have the dual flush where it's less than a gallon per flush for uh, for number one. Um, and so I would suggest definitely switching up to uh, upgrading to a newer toilet that is low flow. Mm. Oftentimes the water department will basically pay you to do that. Um, Get those rebates, baby. Exactly. So that's... Throw, an, throw another baby in there. <laughs> okay. Big <laughs> by tell. But so, yeah. So uh, I would say, yeah, maybe not worth it in the shower head, at least for me. Maybe it is for some, but when it comes to the toilet, worth it for 
basically everyone. Yeah, there's no enjoyment I get by seeing more water flush right. the toilet. Exactly. <laughs> so, all right, Matt, let's move on. Let's mention the beer we're having on this episode. This one is called White Thai. It's by Westbrook Brewing Company. And Thai as in Thailand, not as in like... Um, a tie that you a wear white tie, white suit. bow tie. Yes, <laughs> that is not what this beer is. Uh, this is man, this is a classic, and I also think that most anyone listening to this episode will be able to find this beer at whatever major grocery store is close to them. Oh, uh, carries craft beer. I don't know. I don't know how far Westbrook distributes. Oh, but, really? Yeah. Oh, I, I hope they do. I guess around here, I always see them on the shelves. Yeah. It's it's kind of like one of those go to. Because they're based out of South beers. Carolina, right up That's the road true. from us. But I didn't think about that. If you if never you can, mind, <laughs> if you can find this beer. Yes. But let's move on. Let's get uh, to the subject at hand. We're answering listener questions. And if you have a question that you want Matt and I to tackle on an upcoming episode, we would love to hear it. Just go to howtomoney.com slash ask. There are simple instructions there for how you can submit your question to be featured on an upcoming Ask HTM episode. But Matt, let's get to this first one. This one is about the conundrum that so many renters are facing right now. Hey, Joel and Matt. This is Sabrina from Hoffman Estates, Illinois. I'm a huge fan of the How to Money podcast. You guys have helped me learn so much on my journey to financial independence. So keep up the good work and looking forward to new episodes. My question for you guys is currently at my one bedroom, one bath apartment, I'm paying $12.61 a month. My lease will be up in July. The leasing office has provided me a list of new rental rates if I want to renew. For instance, for a new 12-month lease, they've increased the rent price by as much as 13%. That would increase my rent by $170 a month, or for a 9-month lease, would increase by 16% or $206 more a month, just as an example. I'm having a hard time justifying this. What is your advice? Should I renew at the rates provided? try to negotiate or look elsewhere for a new apartment. I always pay my rent early and was looking to renew, but I'm shocked at the increases they are providing. Any advice you have would be awesome. Thanks so much and have a great day. Sabrina, thank you for your question. Uh, we are sad to hear that you're having this expense go up in your life, especially you mentioned how you're on the path to financial independence, to financial freedom. Having an expense go up when you are not going to receive any additional benefit, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and you can just see the dollar signs increase uh, on your monthly budget within your expenses. But uh, you know what's happening to you? It's, it's happening to almost everyone out there. You're not alone. I'm not actually sure if that makes you feel any better, <laughs> but Misery does love some company. And actually, before we dig in with our own best answers here, we wanted to mention we actually covered this topic uh, in depth with Justin Pogue. That was back in episode 469. He had a smorgasbord of great insights for negotiating your rent. It's worth listening to. And he's coming at it too from the side of the landlord. He yeah. uh, managed hundreds of doors. He was the guy that you would be talking to when it comes to negotiating your rent. It's always nice to hear from someone on the inside. Yeah, he was like the no no rent decrease for you guy. Um, but he had some really good insights and he talked about the landlord's dilemma and kind of how you know what the landlord is going through so that you can actually negotiate properly. And, and so that is one of the things actually that Sabrina mentioned was, should she be negotiating? And we would say, Yes. Um, oh, yeah. It's it, you might not be in an amazing position to negotiate right now in the current climate, uh, given these current circumstances. There's a decent chance that your apartment complex isn't going to budge at all. But we would say your best negotiation tactic is to offer to sign a longer term lease. So if if you plan to stay put in this apartment complex for a couple more years, then if I were you, I would offer to sign a two year lease, which might get you a better rate. And that's because vacancy is one of those landlord dilemmas. It's one of those things that costs landlords money. Uh, 
uh, having that uh, apartment unoccupied for a month mm-hmm. or two is going to cost them more than being able to cut you a, a great tenant, a little bit of a break on your rent right now. And I would suggest this to Sabrina. It's also helpful to have market data for what other apartment complexes in your area are offering for a similar units, because if something nearby that is very much uh, in the same vein as the apartment that you're in right now, it's running for $100 less than what your complex is demanding from you, that data can help your case. And it might convince the management company maybe to meet you in the middle so you can avoid having to move annoyingly, uh, but that you can at least maybe uh, avoid the full wrath of the rate increase that they're currently proposing. Exactly. It helps you to deflect it a little bit. I would also suggest at night just pulling the fire alarm. Uh, and so then all the tenants go. are upset. Uh, <laughs> just do that a few nights in a row and then folks will choose not to renew. And then all of a sudden the demand has dramatically decreased. Yeah. Just start slashing tires in the parking lot and... <laughs> Vandalism is always the way to get what you want, Matt. Uh, Obviously, that's a great way to go if you're looking to make a lot of enemies. um, And maybe also not even actually saving money. Um, But but Sabrina... Maybe just landing in a jail cell. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's important to note, we're in an era of rapidly rising rents. But it's important to keep in mind that you you might find some bigger discrepancies between what different apartment complexes are charging. Some property managers are more in tune with what's happening in the market than others. And then it it could actually be even more helpful to look at other properties that are managed by smaller mom and pop landlords. You might find uh, the carriage house. You could find an ADU or even a duplex. Uh, by snagging that, you could potentially you know, lock in some lower rent for years to come. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good suggestion, Matt. Sometimes mom and pop landlords are, their mortgage is locked in. They're less in tune with market forces. And and so their rent is, prices are pretty stable. And maybe they go up with taxes every year, but but they might not be quite as keen to raise rents 13 to 37% like right. Sabrina's well, experiencing. For, for some folks, it just it may not be as much of a business yeah. as, as opposed to just like, well, we like having somebody you know in the garage apartment yeah. and we want to keep somebody back there helps keep an eye on the property things like that where they think of it as mitigating their mortgage to a certain extent not as this like profit motive must yeah must earn a profit yeah not that they're non-for-profits or anything like that but that they are looking maybe more at lifestyle than actually just the numbers well and that reminds me exactly of kind of the position that we were in when the house that we're currently in when we first moved in it was a duplex and we rented out the back half for four and a half years and we charged below market rent and for that entire length of time we never raised the rent on our tenant because she ended up becoming a friend and she was literally living in our house like under the same roof and so there are other things at play, she got a better deal than most people in our neighborhood couldn't find a a unit similar to that for the same price she was paying. Um, But because that landlord and tenant have more of a direct relationship uh, when they live under the same roof, sometimes that can have a a beautiful impact on what you actually end up paying for. Yeah, totally. I mean, it it makes me think too, like consider a place that may not be like quite as nice or, or like maybe a place that's a little bit smaller than what you're currently like where you're currently you're living. You're not suggesting like rat infested, are you? No, definitely not. Okay. I mean, but like, like so she's living in a one one. But like, could you find something that's a little more affordable that happens to be like a studio apartment? Mm-hmm. Right. I think one of the ways to fight inflation and these rising costs of rent is to maybe just change your expectations for what you want out of your place. It could almost be a game of sorts to lock into a, a dollar amount that you're wanting to spend and then just see what steps you can take. You know, what what discipline 
discipline, what pain that you're, you know, you might be willing to endure to ensure that you're not going to pay more for rent. Uh, you want to you know, in this way, you're kind of like maintaining your costs and you're decreasing your expectations. It makes me think about how I feel like over the years, we've sort of done that with our food budget, where we've tried to keep it locked in and we have seen the price of food go up and we've kind of, we are no longer doing the $1 per meal per person uh, <laughs> model anymore. That's we were on, basically physically impossible. We were on time. that train for, I mean, over a decade, like literally for years and years. And as we added more folks, as we had more kids, we still adhered to that general principle, that general philosophy. It was a way for us to try to lock in our food costs, but it forced us to be more creative and to find some different ways to uh, you know, cook food for ourselves that was still healthy. Yeah. Well, I think it's important to mention too that moving comes with a cost, right? And yeah, and yeah. So, so you can't just think about the price of rent. You have to think about the price and the hassle of moving down the street. And so if you know that you can save 20 bucks a month, are you are you going to move for twenty bucks a month? Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. Are you going to are you going to move for one hundred fifty dollars a month? Probably. But so much of that too depends on how much stuff you have, whether you're living kind of that minimalist lifestyle, how much it's going to cost you to move. Are you going to hire some sort of fancy professional moving company where it's going to cost you a thousand bucks, or are you going to rent a U-Haul and move your own stuff and spend eighty bucks? Um, it just so or much. Not even a U-Haul. It's just yeah. like I've got. A Ford Explorer, and I can fit all of my possessions into my vehicle and make one trip. The easier it is to move. If that's the case, the, yeah, the more likely you're you. willing to do it. Because <laughs> for like for for us now in a bigger house with three kids and all the stuff you accrue over years of just life, oh my gosh, it, 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 moving becomes <laughs> a little more daunting. Yes. So I, I would just suggest be be sure to to factor in all of the costs associated with moving, not just the difference in monthly rent. And again, it is a tough environment out there for tenants in most of the country. And, and while you don't have tons of leverage, you still don't have to take massive rent increases lying down. There are things you can do. And I think, Matt, your suggestion in particular to look to those smaller landlords, to look to ADUs and carriage houses and stuff like that. I think that is often where the best deals can be had. So I'd be scouring Zillow if I were you, Sabrina. I would be looking every day to see what pops up. And not just on the actual listings, but just asking around, like ask within your personal network, just be like, hey, do you happen to know anybody who has a, an ADU, somebody yeah. who has a basement that I can rent out, someone who has an extra room over their garage, that kind of thing? Because sometimes those opportunities don't, you know, I, I feel like if you go through all the steps where you are actually going to list it on Zillow, maybe you've taken a few photos at that point, you're like, well, shoot, I want it to be worth it as opposed to going and finding the opportunity uh, and you're making life a little bit easier for the landowner. Yeah. So, all right. Best of luck, Sabrina. We hope you find a, a great deal on a place or you're able to at least negotiate uh, with your current landlord and get that rent increase at least mitigated in some form or fashion. But uh, Matt, we've got more questions to get to, including the next question is going to be about real estate, about creating a rental unit of their own and we'll get to like that the, one the flip side that's of right, sabrina's right. question exactly this is who <laughs> sabrina is actually looking for is a landlord that's going to create a space for her to live in um, i don't think they live in the same city though but we'll get to that question and more right after this break When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. 
Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000 plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money joel so we were just recounting our trip to scotland this is the trip that we took this time last year actually with some of our friends over the weekend and one of the highlights from edinburgh was stumbling upon the absolute best meat pie shop Mm -hmm. they were fresh out of the oven they had that perfectly flaky crust but guess what that serendipitous experience would never had happened if we'd stayed at a boring hotel we had found the perfect flat in the coolest part of town thanks to airbnb oh man i'm still dreaming about those meat pies you're making my (laughs) you're making me drool and while turning to airbnb might be a no-brainer when you're looking to spend some money on travel it might not be the first thing you think of when you're looking to make some money Why let it sit empty, your house, when it could be earning extra income, though? It's the financially smart thing to do. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra dough. Yeah, that's right. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. All right, we are back from the break. We're taking listener questions, and let's hear from a listener who is looking to renovate his house. Hey, Matt and Joel. This is Joe from Fairfax, Virginia. My wife and I recently bought our first single-family house that was built in the 1960s with a 20% down payment. I noticed that a neighbor who has the same model house as us dug out their crawl space to build a one-bedroom finished basement apartment. The county we live in recently revised their zoning laws to allow what they call additional living units such as this. Your podcast has got me interested in real estate investing and my wife and I have started casually talking about whether it would be a good idea for us to take on this type of project. I haven't done any research into the cost of this project versus potential rent, 
but I had a general question about how and when we might pursue a similar renovation. Specifically, we're interested in your thoughts on best ways to finance something like this and where we should be financially before taking it on. We are 30 years old and currently have about four months of expenses and savings, $130,000 in a Roth IRA, and $100,000 in a mix of other workplace 401ks and pensions. My wife does have a car loan of about $8,000, which is our only outstanding debt besides the mortgage. Thank you so much for all the valuable education you have provided me. Matt, you remember that time you were going to dig your own basement out by hand? Uh, <laughs> I think you even talked about it on the show. I was so close, yet so far away from actually, <laughs> from actually doing that. Why so lazy, I Matthew? I love to dig. It's, it's, it's no joke. Anytime we go to the beach, I like to bring along my shovel, dig holes that are way too deep. But no, ultimately, in the end, I, uh, I left that to the pros. Right, well, Let a, a bulldozer take care of that. I'll tell Joe that if, if he um, pays for your, your bus ticket up to Virginia, that you'll help him dig out his basement. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because we do have a friend who, what, what does Carl call it? He calls it like, uh, it like construction tourism. Like he'll go and visit his friends and help them work on, like yeah. work on their house to install some solar panels or you know, build a shed, something like that. I and mean, he might spend a week with them. They're like hanging out, enjoying themselves, but also actually doing some work. At some point, most likely when we're empty nesters, when maybe I've got some fewer responsibilities, I would like to do something like that. Right. I will ride the bus. For the time uh, being, though. And help you, Joe, to build out your basement. Joe's got to figure <laughs> it out on his own. Yes. Uh, and, and Matt did end up digging out the basement. I mean, not, not himself. Like, yeah. he had somebody else do it because yep. he's quite um, lazy. Well, so, uh, <laughs> no. Hey, you're, you, I don't see you digging holes on the no, beach. true. But I never said I was going to either, okay? <laughs> I never promised and then under-delivered. But it ended up being a smart move, Matt, because that is actually currently the space we are in recording this. Where we're sitting right now. Delightful podcast. And and here's the thing, though. These these renovations, they don't necessarily pay off right away. And so what, what I mean is that if you were to sell, Joe, immediately after completing this work, it's not like you're going to get every dollar back upon resale. So it's really important to think about your timeline. If this is a property that you plan to own for a number of years and the cash flow numbers make sense... I really like where your head is at yeah. because then you're turning uh, your property from a money drain into a money generating asset. That's something we can get behind. Improving your property to make it more of an income property is something that, that we love. Yeah, especially too, if you are able to slightly increase the maybe the utility that you're able to get out of your house uh, by digging out this basement. I know when we finished out the space above we we finished out a dining room which connected our dining room to our kitchen it gave us a lot more usable functional space though joe from what you said you said you've got a 1960s home which sounds like a ranch in my mind and i know a lot of those ranches kind of have some of those like walkout terrace level uh basements so for you it, it may be less about the utility that you'd be generating for yourself and it would be more about the actual cash or the income that you'd be able to generate. And so that's something that you've got to pay attention to. You've got to look at the numbers. And specifically, you want to get some firm numbers on what it would cost to perform this renovation. Uh, but you also want to know what sort of rent that you'd be able to collect for a finished basement apartment. A good rule of thumb that we like to keep in mind, the 1% rule, let that be a guiding light here. Because for instance, if you can finish this apartment out for maybe $100,000, then you'd, you'd likely want to be able to collect something close to $1,000 in rent each month. You know, you might not be able to hit those numbers exactly, but you'll want to be in the ballpark. So, for instance, if it would cost you like $200,000 and you'd only be able to snag yourself like 600 bucks a month in rent, you know, you might want to go in a different direction. <laughs> this probably isn't a great financial move as you're looking at the numbers. Uh, there's a, a, a few things you want to keep in mind, but as you're looking at the numbers, keep that in mind. Yeah, and Joe said that his neighbor did this exact same thing. That's the 
perfect person to ask. Like, walk down the street and say, hey, can I take a look at your apartment? Hey, hey who did you have do the work? Hey, how's how much it, did it cost? How's it going How's for it you? going? Do you have yeah. a tenant in there? Um, can, I, can I see the space? Th- those are the kind of things. Like, there's somebody right down the street who did exactly what you want to do. I would go pick their brain and learn from how they did it. And when we talk about financing we have to ask the question too, are you financially ready to do this? I think in a lot of ways you're getting close because you put down 20% on your home, like a smart guy, and you've got almost no debt uh, on hand, which is which is excellent. And, and this is a great way to get started in rental real estate by doing it at the home that you already own. And it's, it's just less complex than buying a fourplex or something like that right mm-hmm. off the bat, right? Trying to get started by, <laughs> by buying an apartment complex. You, you probably don't want that to be your first deal. So uh, the Then the question is, where do you get these funds from? And I'd hate to see you take money away from your retirement accounts to fund this project. You don't want to be taking 401k loans necessarily in order to get this, uh, this job off the ground. Contributions to your Roth IRA would be the only source of retirement funds that I'd even consider, and, and even then, it's not ideal. So I think saving up more money and, and looking to home equity are the best options. We talked about that last week on the show for a bit. But here's the thing, though, since you just purchased the home, it just might be too soon for you to try and tap home equity. There might not be enough there. So sounds like savings is kind of how you're going to have to fund this. Yeah. Or maybe he has seen a 20% increase in the past maybe. year. Maybe. <laughs> like a lot of homes sure. have. But we, we would recommend saving up cash. But Joe, like I, I love your goal here. This is a great one. You've been doing a great job saving for retirement. It sounds like y'all are in a, a solid financial position. Now is a great time to figure out how much you'll need to amass the funds to get this real estate investment off the ground. But then figure out how long it's going to take you to get there. Not only from a financial standpoint, because it's you know obviously it takes time to build up cash, but it takes time to build a home and to, to finish a property out as well. Uh, there is a lot of demand for folks who are adding on to homes or building homes. And it could be, uh, it might take you a little bit maybe to get the drawings or the permitting and, and lining up the contractor. And so honestly, even though right now mentally you might want to pull the trigger on this renovation, in reality, it might be another nine to 12 months. And by then you might actually have saved up the the right amount of cash that you need on hand. So we wish you all the best of luck. And hopefully this is something that is going to, to serve you and your family well. Yeah. And one last thing I'll say is we need more housing density in this country. Yeah, yeah. So I think the, right. these are the kind of things, these are the kind of projects that ultimately are good because we're in a housing shortage in this country. We need more rental units. We need more like single family homes. We need more uh, uh, townhomes. We need everything. And so Joe building out this unit to house somebody actually is going to be better overall for us as a society. Yeah, so. Joe's solving some problems for exactly, the world. Exactly, Joe. You're, <laughs> you're, you're a regular problem solver. So uh, uh, let's get to the next question, though, Matt. This one is about credit scores. And wait, can they actually go down if you pay your debt off? Hey, guys. Sarah from Iowa here. New fan of the podcast. I was listening to you on my walk yesterday and was listening to the episode on myths about your credit score. And as somebody who has been trying to pay down some debt over the past several years, I have noticed that my credit score has been dropping when I've gotten some loans paid off. So I'm currently down to 27000 left in debt that I have a plan to pay off by September of next year. But I'm also planning on hopefully moving out of state and buying a house with my boyfriend within the year. So... My question to you now is I have two credit cards and two personal loans. I'm doing the debt snowball. Um, my first loan to pay off is a personal loan followed by two credit cards followed by another personal loan. So my question to you, do I pay off the credit cards first or the personal loans or well, it doesn't matter? I have done my research and I'm 
plan on just continuing as is, and I guess if my score drops, hopefully my credit report will show what I'm trying to do. Just want to know what your thoughts are. Thank you. All right, Sarah, congrats on paying off your debt. I love that, you, that you've got a plan here to, to pay this off by, it sounds like, fall of next year. Uh, it sounds like you've, you've got a lot of financial priorities on your plate at once, and we want to just encourage you that this is something that you can do. You've got a plan. You've got some goals in mind. You can do this. And since you, you know, you've got some of these bigger goals on the horizon, like buying a house, I love that you're paying attention to your credit now, your credit score now, because as long as you have some time, you can take some some pretty clear steps to make sure that your credit score is in a healthy uh, place down the road, because the worst position to be in is when you say like, okay, I want to buy a house now. (laughs) It's time. But you haven't been paying any attention to your credit score, because then you could easily be paying well over what the average mortgage, mortgage rates are, or even get denied altogether if your credit score is in sad shape. Just generally speaking here, great job on proactively tackling this and starting to look ahead. Yeah, to me, it's like, Hey, I think I'm gonna run a marathon tomorrow. But <laughs> that's really what it's like. That, it does, like that, at is, least for me, that would not end up very well. I no, guess. it's I'd true. I'd be puking on mile seven. So uh, <laughs> it's a good idea to to make sure that you've actually trained for that and that you've been proactively uh, paying attention to how many miles you can actually run and and slowly building up your ability to run further and further distances. And that, that takes months and months. Yeah. And it takes a similar amount of time often to raise your credit score. Mile seven would be like mile three for you. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably right. I overestimate my own abilities. <laughs> but uh, yeah, when it comes to uh, Sarah, she mentioned her, her credit score drops as she, as she pays off certain debts. And it is a weird thing, but it does happen. We talked about that in that episode that Sarah referenced that sometimes you pay off a loan and the credit bureau says, oh, no, 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 no. We're going to give you a, a 15, 20, 20 point drop because we actually kind of liked that debt in your credit mix. Mm-hmm. It's it's a part of the somewhat illogical way that the credit scoring model works. So let's talk about whether uh, Sarah should pay off personal loans or credit cards first. We would typically suggest paying off your credit card debt first. And it's partly because those come with a higher interest rate, uh, often by a pretty big margin. And so I think that's the best course of action for Sarah here too, right? This approach would squarely fall under the debt avalanche approach, which is not what Sarah's currently doing, where you're, you're solely focusing on the interest rate that you're paying and you're ignoring the balance that you're carrying on those loans or credit cards. And I think this is actually like good for multiple purposes, but the main one is really to make sure that you're eliminating the, the highest interest rate debt first. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's really important to, to note here that she did say that she's doing the debt snowball. And so Sarah, what's really important to keep in mind is why are you doing the debt snowball approach versus the debt avalanche where you are focusing on Pro- the higher probably wants that psychological boost of paying off one debt more quickly but that could be the to the detriment of what she's like the long-term things she's trying to achieve exactly and so if you are going to start losing momentum because you're not receiving those psychological wins then it it, it, maybe it doesn't make sense (laughs) for you to focus on the credit cards maybe instead you focus on whichever balances uh, are the smallest which is what the debt snowball is however it does sound like that you are on a roll that you are in control that you're in charge of the situation Uh, it sounds like you've got a plan you're sticking with it you've seen some progress you've got these further goals down the road and so in your case, it sounds like maybe like you might kind of be able to switch gears like like you were doing the debt snowball. But now maybe you've advanced to the all right. I am no longer controlled by my emotions. I am a robot. I will do whatever I have written down that I'm going to do. Uh, if that's the case, then it kind of does come down to the numbers as opposed to the psychology. Well, especially because Sarah has this bigger goal in mind, which is yeah. to buy yeah. a house. And 
it's important to point out that paying off a personal loan is more likely to dent your credit score than paying off credit card debt because of, again, that oddball methodology that the credit bureaus use. So focusing on those credit cards first, eradicating those from your life quickly, well, then you can turn your focus to the personal loans. Because when you pay off the credit card debt, it's it's not going to, in all likelihood, impact your score in any meaningful way. But paying off a personal loan could actually create a short-term dent. Mm-hmm. So yeah, keep in mind, even though you're going to eliminate the balances that you're carrying on those credit cards, you don't actually want to close those credit cards because, of course, you want to have that credit available for you to use and closing it could impact your score, hurting your ability to get that mortgage. Um, This is doubly true if these are accounts that you've had open for a while because the length of credit history is so important in that mix too. So yeah, for instance, if these are your first two credit cards that you opened, let's say uh, when you graduated from college or when you set off on your own, you want to keep them around. You don't want to ax them once you're done paying off the debt. Yeah, even if there's an annual fee, right? Like maybe that's an annual fee that you can pay for another couple years until you've got that mortgage secured. Yeah. Uh, at which point you will likely see your credit score really boost because then you're going to have that new installment loan on your credit report. And Sarah, especially since you'll need to have that top-notch credit score in the not-so-distant future, there's a lot more on the line. And so in order to not damage that score, you'll want to make sure that you also develop a plan to stay out of debt. You know, we talked about this in detail back in episode 467, but we want you to make sure that you never go back into credit card debt again. We want that behind you. That is not who you are anymore. <laughs> but let's offer a couple of other ideas to help Sarah boost her, her credit score, uh, maybe like 10, 50 points, because that could potentially snag you a lower rate on a home loan, saving you thousands of dollars. So this is a big deal. Uh, but check out self.inc. This is the cheap way to incorporate another loan that will help you to boost your credit score. And also, now that uh, buy now, pay later companies, they're starting to report to the bureaus. Consider buying something that you would have purchased anyway via some, one of these different companies like Affirm, uh, Klarna, Afterpay. But pay, of course, pay that item off as agreed. Uh, and if you do, that can potentially boost your score a bit as well. But you want to make sure that you do both of those things at least six months before you start applying for home loans. These aren't the, the kind of moves that you want to make as you're also shopping <laughs> shopping, right. you know, to get pre- pre-qualified uh, or to get a letter from a, a lender or something like that. And again, you are looking far off into the future and so you have time to make some of these moves that might temporarily ding your score slightly, but over the long haul, over the course of months and years, uh, you're going to see your score in a much healthier place. That's right. So, Matt, more than anything, it sounds like Sarah's on the right path. Just need a few yeah. little tweaks here and there to ensure that she can achieve both the goal of paying off debt she knows what's and up. buying this house. She's got a plan. She got it. I love so, it. All right. Uh, but, Matt, we got more questions to get to, including one about single stock investing and an instance in which it's actually a great thing. We'll, we'll get to that and more right after this break. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. 
It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachaba really earns their 52,000 plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Cachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Cachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Cachava. Just go to Cachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money joel so we were just recounting our trip to scotland this is the trip that we took this time last year actually with some of our friends over the weekend and one of the highlights from edinburgh was stumbling upon the absolute best meat pie shop. Mm -hmm. They were fresh out of the oven. They had that perfectly flaky crust. But guess what? That serendipitous experience would never have happened if we'd stayed at a boring hotel. We had found the perfect flat in the coolest part of town, thanks to Airbnb. Ah, Matt, I'm still dreaming about those meat pies. You're making (laughs) making me drool. And while turning to Airbnb might be a no-brainer when you're looking to spend some money on travel, it might not be the first thing you think of when you're looking to make some money. Why let it sit empty, your house, when it could be earning extra income, though? It's the financially smart thing to do. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra dough. Yeah, that's right. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. All right, we are back from the break. Let's continue on with our listener questions. Joel, before we get to that uh, single stock investing question, let's hear from a listener. He has a question about commuting on two wheels. Hey, Matt and Joel. This is Wayne from Philadelphia. I had a question for you about bikes. I'm hoping you can help me out. Recently, my job moved, and due to that, I am now only a half an hour away via bike to my new job. However, I don't know anything about bikes. This is where you guys come in. I'm hoping that you can lend some of your expertise to me. A little birdie told me that you guys know a thing or two about bikes. All right, let me drop some facts. So I'm about five miles away from my employer. The roads between me and there are all paved and mostly bike paths or bike lanes. So I'm not too worried about traffic. Also, it's mostly flat terrain, so I don't have any hills that I have to really worry about. All right, let's get into the money side of things. So my workplace is offering us $105 to help with the travel expenses to the new office. 
I have to use $25 of that to get a gym membership so my coworkers don't hate my new bike habit. So at the end of the day, I'm actually netting money after I purchase the bike and hopefully once it pays for itself. But that's where you guys come in. I don't know anything about bike brands. You could tell me that I need a Huffy with pegs and I would believe you. I'm a complete neophyte at this. So any information that you can give me would be a great help. Thank you so much for taking time to answer my question. I'm really looking forward to hearing your answer. And also, thanks so much for the podcast. I love all the things you guys do. Keep it up. All right, Matt, the answer to this question, it's very simple. For Wayne? Yeah, it's, it's a Huffy with pegs, I think. He he already <laughs> knew, and yet he still asked the question. Did you ever have a, a bike with pegs on it where you could do like the BMX tricks? No, I didn't. I definitely could right. not. So next, or did not either. Next question, Matt, please. Play the next one. <laughs> Just kidding. So, Wayne, don't don't go down that path. You you want to buy something a little bit nicer, right? Something and legit. We'll give you, hopefully, our, some, some good opinions on that. And... I just want to say, like, hooray for now being within biking distance of your job. Five miles is a delightful little commute. That's that, not yeah, even... That's perfect. Yeah, that's not going to wind you uh, too, too much, especially without having too many hills, sadly, in Atlanta. Usually, we're, we live in a hilly uh, place, and so when you're when you're going five miles here, you get a little more winded because you're going up and down a whole lot. Um, but bike paths, bike lanes that are flat is is wonderful. And, uh, yeah, it sounds like the, the perfect setup to be biking regularly. And I, I hope that this becomes a habit for you, Wayne, because incorporating this into your life on a regular basis means you're going to be just incredibly fit <laughs> by doing this basically yeah. every day of your life. I just can't think of many things, Matt, that surpass bike commuting in terms of efficiency and just getting that workout regimen in without having to necessarily go to the gym and like hop on a stationary bike, which always, <laughs> uh, I don't know, seems crazy to me. Yeah, man. Yeah, I totally agree. Actually, I was recently messaging with a listener who happens to be a personal fitness coach. I was kind of picking his brain a little bit to see like what sort of exercises would be the best, like which one had the best bang for its buck, essentially. And, you know, the top bit of advice that he had was that whatever you choose, it needs to be something. Uh, it needs to be a workout or it needs to be an activity that you could easily sustain. And yeah, Wayne, so if you're able to keep this up, you're going to have an incredible impact on your fitness. This is one of those side benefits that you're going to experience that is worth mentioning. And so not only are Wayne's legs going to get swole, but so is his bank account because oh, he's, yeah. especially with gas prices <laughs> where they are right now and just, just driving your car less. We haven't really mentioned this in a long time, but typically if you drive your car fewer than 7,500 miles, a year, your insurance company will provide you a discount for being a, a low usage driver. So all of these things can factor in to saving you money while you're getting fit, Wayne. So And, and over the years, you're going to be able to save a ton. But we got to say, uh, for anybody who is considering taking this leap to starting biking to work, it's definitely a good idea to try it out on the weekend first. That way you don't have the pressure of making sure that you're arriving to work on time and that you're not ridiculously overly sweaty. Um, you know, try it out with like a leisurely Saturday ride yeah. just to kind of um, get your bearings and make sure that you have the best route and make sure that you know how long the commute's actually going to take and you'll have a, a realistic expectation moving forward. Um, and even before you take that first ride, Google Maps does a great job with uh, giving you good bike routes. Check out a few options to find what works best for you. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this on the show before. Did I tell you about uh, a friend and he his idea for an app for uh, bike commuters was he's going to call it Flatso. It's sort of like Fatso, but like <laughs> Flatso. And it was going to find the route that was the that had the least amount of elevate, oh, that's smart. elevation like that. gain. Yeah, yeah. Don't you like yeah, that? Yeah, that's great. So if nobody has already done that, if you're listening, you should do that. <laughs> but uh, let's get to the heart of your question, Wayne. This is maybe the, the, the more fun part where you get to buy stuff. <laughs> it's the fun part for a lot of folks, at least. 
but you are asking specifically about what kind of bike you should get. And honestly, it, it really depends because there is no clear cut answer here because it's going to depend on what your priorities are and then sort of what kind of riding that you might be doing when you're not commuting to work. Uh, so for instance, someone might naturally make the recommendation that you should totally get a road bike. You know, you're going to be on paved roads the entire time. You mentioned uh, bike lanes, bike paths. You are one lucky dude to be on bike lanes or bike paths the whole time, you know, as you're biking five miles to work. That is awesome. But if you see yourself spending the weekends driving to a trailhead somewhere and riding on some single track, uh, then you might want to consider a mountain bike, you know, or at least a gravel bike. But alternatively, if the idea of riding super fast and <laughs> throwing down some serious mileage as quickly as possible, if that sounds exciting to you, then, you know, maybe in that case, you should get a road bike after all. Mm, yeah. So I, I personally like my road bike. It's a lot of fun, Matt. You've got more of a gravel bike mm-hmm. and they're both good for different things. And the road bike is best for longer commutes, especially if there is more elevation change. But with the flatter ride, you have probably a few more options at your disposal. Totally. Because... Yeah, and either way, any virtually any bike you have, you can get, get five five miles to exactly, work. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it's I not guess. like it's 20 miles <laughs> and then you're like, well, probably want to yeah. stick with the road bike. Yeah. It's yeah. like the knobby tires, not so great on the on the, on the the road. Yeah. Not, not for that long of a commute. And I think where you're going to purchase this bike, well, there are a few options there too. Normally, we'd recommend for folks to to check out bikes over at bikesdirect.com. But it sounds like maybe Wayne, you're a total noob when it comes to biking, which is totally fine. Uh, but I think going to a local bike shop makes a lot of sense when you don't have almost any experience and when you don't know what you're getting into. And not only can they help you find a specific bike that's going to work for the the biggest variety of circumstances for how you're going to be riding, but this way you won't have to figure out how to put it together, <laughs> which you'd have to do if you ordered exactly. the bike online. And since local shops oftentimes specialize in a few specific brands of bikes, when the time comes to get it tuned up or if you need something repaired, they'll know exactly what to do. The customer service that you're going to get from a local bike shop is going to be vastly superior, almost always, from what you're going to receive when you buy it online. Yeah, they like seeing their own bikes uh, show back up at the shop yeah, know, for them to work on. Right. Sometimes they'll even <laughs> They've got their own little sticker on there. Maintenance and stuff like that. Kind of like a, when you buy a car from a place or like free oil changes yeah. for the first year. Yeah. It can be similar to that with a bike shop. One other good place to look at bikes, I think, is REI uh, because they often include tune-ups or they have cheap maintenance options if there's an REI near where you live. I think that's a good major retailer where you can find good bikes with good customer service. But a local bike shop is is definitely one of the best places to begin looking where they can provide some helpful advice, help you hone in on the right bike for you. And at the same time, kind of provide the maintenance know-how too. Totally. And depending on who's there, I mean, you might come across somebody who's a total bike nerd and they could really get you set up. Like they can get you fitted to a frame and there's there's a lot more that goes into it than just, okay, what's your what's the standard over height, mm-hmm. you know, like how tall are you, that kind of stuff. Some guys can, can really nerd out. And it really does have uh, an impact on how comfortable a bike can be for you. But Wayne, if, if you're looking to save as much money as possible, and if you're down to you know, kind of DIY it and learn about how to maintain a bike, then Bikes Direct, it really is one of the best options online because you're you're ordering straight from the manufacturer. So there's no markup and you can get some fantastic bikes from them in that sort of what I feel is, is the sweet spot is like the $400 to $700 price point. Uh, I've done that myself. And then when it comes to putting it together, it's really already like 90% put together. It's, it's not too difficult to do the rest. And you can learn everything there is to know about ongoing maintenance just from YouTube. But ultimately, though, like we don't want you to overthink it here. You can literally commute to work 
again, you know, on virtually any bike, even a Huffy with pegs, <laughs> <laughs> though we wouldn't recommend that because bikes like, you know, that are sold at, at local superstores are, are pretty much garbage. Like even Schwinn, like back in the day, Schwinn bikes were, were pretty solid, uh, but I th- I'm pretty sure they sell them now at Walmart and the quality has gone downhill. And that is not the direction you want to go in. It's just such a bummer too when you ride a bike that is clunky, that squeaks, that's too heavy and just ill-fitted, it, perhaps. ill-fitted, all those yeah. things. Yeah. If you don't have a bike that works for you, you're probably not going to stick with it. And so this is one of those things where your employer is helping foot the bill. Get something good that's yeah. going to last you for a long time. This is, um, I hate to use the term investment for any sort of consumer purchase. <laughs> it is, this is the only time I have ever, I've ever you, you remember, yeah. maybe this like 100 episodes ago, but I was like, I'm almost going to say that. With bikes, it almost is because investment. it's saving you money on in these other areas. It's getting you fit. And it is one of those things where a good bike doesn't really drop precipitously in value. Having a great bike, having the right bike is going to make such a difference in your life and just in the level of joy you get from hopping on it every day. So yeah, this is one of those cases where you don't want to cheap out, especially if you think you're going to use it as much as it looks like you're going to. That's right, man. All great points. All right. Finally, we're getting to that last question that we've teased to the question about investing in single stocks. And we actually might be really excited to do that in this situation. Let's hear this question. Hi, Matt and Joel. My name is Dakota and I live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I work for Molina Healthcare, which has recently become a Fortune 500 company, I believe, and they offer an employee stock purchasing plan option where they can withhold up to 15% of my paycheck for six months, and then they will take that money and buy as much stock as they can with it at the lowest price, whether it was the first day of that six-month period or the last day. Whichever one's lowest, they'll buy it at a 15% discount. Now, if it were you, and I know you guys are not a fan of single stock options, but I feel like this is a really good deal given that you're saving, you know, you're getting a ROI of at least 15%. Now, would it be the safest option to just, or safest or best, you know, option to sell it right away and get hit with that short-term capital gains tax? Or would you hope for the best, hope that the stock doesn't tank and just keep it for at least a year and then maybe sell it uh, so that you have the long-term capital gains. I know that, you know, stocks can fluctuate and it's kind of a gamble, but if it were you, what were you do? Thanks. Bye. All right, Matt. This is this is a great question. It's something This is a really good question. We've tackled actually. it before on the show, but it's been it's been a minute, so it's definitely time to revisit talk yeah. about ESPPs. And and Dakota, you're right. This what you've got access to is a great deal. Um, we did talk about not investing in single stocks recently on the show. That was just, I don't know, a month ago. And we didn't have many positive things to say. And it's actually even more risky to buy stock in a company you work for. So you might think we're going to be like, no, 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 no. Hold up. Don't do this. But here's the thing. Because you are. You're putting more eggs in the same basket. Not only are you you putting your your income eggs, but now you're talking about your investment eggs as well. That's right. There's a lot of consolidation happening here. That's right. A lot of eggs too, right? (laughs) So uh, when you get a special deal like this though, Dakota, it actually mitigates a lot of the risk that we're talking about. Getting the lowest price plus 15% off is a killer perk. And this is a situation where you'll likely want to take full advantage of this offering, but uh, there are some caveats that we have to throw in there. That's right. Yeah. ESPPs, which are employee stock purchase plans, they're a great perk uh, that lots of folks should consider if that's a benefit that their employer offers. Dakota, however, 
you also want to create a process to prevent you from acquiring too much company stock uh, where you're ramping up that risk level. And so selling that discounted stock that you've acquired sooner rather than later is, is what we'd suggest, sort of like what you're saying here. For qualified ESPP plans, that means selling the stock at least a year after the purchase date and two years after the offering date. And that's going to allow you to not hold on to it for too long while still making sure that your earnings receive a more favorable long-term capital capital gains tax rate. Yeah, true. You could you could sell that stock even sooner and pay more in tax on the gains if you wanted, right? The the, the short-term capital gains rate, which which means that your profits going to be taxed at ordinary income tax mm-hmm. rates. And that's not a bad way to think about it either, because paying a little more in tax on free money, well, that's that's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, that's more of a personal decision with how comfortable you feel holding on to that stock. Because you don't know what is going to happen with the, the, the price of that stock. Even though they might be a great employer, you might have a great boss. What is the actual company stock going to do? Who knows? Exactly. And it also depends on how much money you've built up in your other retirement accounts. It also comes down to uh, what risk and volatility you're comfortable with. But here's another thing. It also comes down to what tax bracket you're currently in. Because if right. you're if you're a higher wage earner and you're in the 32 or 35% tax bracket, then you might be more willing to roll the dice, hold on to that tax longer, <laughs> making sure that you get into the long-term capital gains tax rate because there's a huge difference in the amount of tax you're going to pay on the gains. There's just a lot to consider. There's a lot of moving parts. But ultimately, this is a great offering, and Dakota could score a sweet deal on company stock that she's able to profit fr- from uh, in the short term with with not too much risk, I don't think. Exactly. Well, and the thing is, too, she's talking about how they, she can set aside 15% of her paycheck as well. That's something that she could slowly ramp up as That's well. True, yeah. So you can kind of start like wading into those waters. You don't have to go full bore, all in. But this also reminds me, one more suggestion we need to share with Dakota she asked what we would do if we were in her situation. And, you know, we would totally take advantage of this, but only as long as we were just crushing it with our other money, with our other personal finance goals. Uh, and so it's important to assess, Dakota, whether or not you are saving and investing like gangbusters already, or if you're out there listening and you have access to your corporate employer and they've got uh, a stock that's publicly traded as well, this could be something that you should consider, but you need to keep in mind what is going on within your own house. And, and if so, if you're doing a great job, this you know ESPP, uh, if it's the cherry on top, then we would want you to take full advantage but if it's not, if you don't already have your, your financial house in shape, if you don't have an emergency fund, different things like that, we would want you to focus on those areas uh, of your money first. Yeah, it's like trying to go from first gear to fourth gear. You're going to start sputtering. It, you you want to make sure you get those money gears in order. And ESPP is something that, that happens further down the line after you've gotten the full company match in your 401k, after you've really been crushing it for a while, saving and investing for your, your future. If you're already kind of in fourth gear, and this is the fifth gear, man, this is like, yeah. ramping up into an even even faster speed for Dakota, then this is great. Then this is something you definitely want to get into. But it's, it's hard to start off the line, though, in fifth gear. That's right. <laughs> Just don't let it derail you from your other goals, thinking yeah. like, oh, look at the discount. I got to get I got to take advantage of this. When there are other less risky things, you should be participating in first. Yeah, it probably depends on how susceptible you are to the sales. <laughs> if, if you find yourself drawn to sales, then this might be something you have to be a little more careful of. Yeah. You don't want to be persuaded into buying something that you don't necessarily need at this point in your life. Yes, exactly. All right, Matt, that's going to do it for listener questions. Let's get back to the beer that we had on this episode. This is called White Tie. It's by Westbrook Brewing Company. What were your thoughts on this wheat ale? 
That's right. It's a wheat, also known as a wit in European speak. Uh, but this is so it's a Belgian style, uh, which means it's got those some of those Belgian yeasts and, and flavors going on. This is the kind of beer that if if you're looking to enjoy a beer with pizza. I can think of no better beer than a than a Belgian white, or like I'm thinking of Allagash. They've got Allagash White, that is a, a very similar style beer to this. So if that's one that you've enjoyed, uh, I would recommend checking out Westbrook Brewing Company. But truly, I feel like I should have a, a slice of spicy pizza uh, because that is what this is what you want to be drinking if you're enjoying something like that. Yeah, this would definitely cut some spice, and it's got just like refreshing qualities for sure. And and this one is is different than Allagash White because it doesn't have like that coriander, those some of those traditional beer flavors they kind of they kind of tweaked it just a little bit and it comes through nicely um with with some of those thai spices yeah so lemongrass instead yeah. of coriander right you can totally you can totally get that and so i don't know i like pretty much everything westbrook makes and this is one of their older more classic beers so just a joy to have a good westbrook beer on the show yeah it's it's, it's a bit brighter than like allagash white yeah like like the the belgian singles like that they tend to be a bit heavy i feel like whereas this is nice and bright certainly uh a great beer to be enjoying this time of year. But that's going to be it for this episode of How to Money. Listeners can find our show notes up on our website at howtomoney.com. And we'll make sure to link to any of the different resources that we may have mentioned during this episode. Speaking of resources, we've got a How to Money Facebook group that you should join. Because if you go on Facebook every once in a while and you want actually helpful information <laughs> instead of people arguing. And you don't want to feel like dog dookie after <laughs> someone's like trying to tear you down. That's right. Well, the How to Money Facebook group is a great place to spend at least a little bit of your time on the internet because people are helping each other out and you're gaining knowledge and information to help you in your quest towards financial freedom. That's so, right. All right, Matt, that's going to do it for this episode. Until next time, best friends out. Best friends out. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast.
something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.